Thank you for listening to the Christ the King Church podcast. We exist to help people know, love, and obey Jesus as Lord over all of life. For more information about our church, please visit us at ctksensi.com. Good morning. Can you hear me okay? Awesome. Okay. Avoiding the microphone troubles. I shouldn't jinx myself. All right. Hey, guys, my name is Brady Faust. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ the King, and I am excited to join you today to preach God's Word. So we are preaching through the Gospel of Luke, and today we're going to find ourselves in Luke chapter 8, verses 4 through 15, and we're going to be talking about the parable of the sower. So let's go ahead and get our farmer hats out, our overalls on. And let's dig into one of the most, well, let's just say it, the most famous parable of all time. How's that for a hot take? Pretty good? I don't, know, I don't know if that's true. There's probably more famous parables out there. Oh, well. Okay. All right. So if you've been tracking the last few weeks, Jesus's ministry is in full swing in the gospel of Luke. And you could make the argument that right now he's at the peak of his popularity in Luke's account. I mean, people are being healed. There's huge crowds that are showing up wherever he goes. I mean, this guy is a legitimate rock star. Now, what would you do if you kind of hit an all-time high in your life? I mean, you try to ride it out as long as possible, right? Maybe even try and take it to that next level, that next step. But what we're going to see is that Jesus is going to do a really interesting thing in our text today. He's going to throw out a really strong warning to the crowd that's listening to him, the crowd that's gathered. And what we're going to see is that over the next few chapters of Luke, Jesus is slowly but surely going to break up the popularity party and start to call people to follow him beyond just the miracles and the feel-good moments. The call to discipleship is going to begin to replace the call to come and see. And so Jesus is going to start it here by telling a parable that warns this massive crowd that's gathered. Have you ever been warned before? Yes, right? We get warnings all the time. I think about this a lot more nowadays because I've got four little kids of my own. Warnings have become second nature to me at this point. I know I'm getting old. I'm starting to that point where I feel like I sound like my parents oftentimes. Okay, Levi, get off the table or you're going to fall off and break something. Emerson, if you don't listen, you're going to go to your room. You're going to regret this. I bring this up because I want you to think about this question as we start to dig into this text. Okay, what's the point of a warning? Let me ask that again. What's the point of a warning? So let's go ahead and read our text here for today. Starting here in verse 4. And when a great crowd was gathering... And people from town after town came to him. He said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot. And the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock. And as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns. And the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when the disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, 
and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, they receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience." All right, so Luke is going to tell us the parable of the sower in a bit of a truncated version. So we also see this account in Matthew and Mark, and those accounts are much longer. And Jesus is also going to tell it in two parts. So first, he tells the parable to a great crowd that had gathered to hear him talk. But then, later on, he's going to give an insider explanation into a more intimate setting to his most devoted followers, his disciples. And we also see the purpose or reasoning for telling this parable. Look at uh, what he says. He says, to you, talking to the disciples, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Now, that's kind of an interesting explanation for why Jesus speaks in parables to his hearers, doesn't it? And it's almost as if he's saying that he doesn't really want the crowd to understand, doesn't he? But there's a purpose here, and Jesus is revealing something about himself and his kingdom, as Jason said. So to the large crowd who hears the parable and nothing more, Jesus is saying that while these stories reveal what the kingdom of God is like, it doesn't mean that everyone who hears them will believe and follow him. He says, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. I mean, let's just think about that crowd for a second. There are a million reasons why people showed up to hear Jesus. I mean, wouldn't you just be attracted by the potential of seeing something miraculous at this point? And so the parable itself is going to describe three different seeds or soils that ultimately reject Jesus' message. And so Jesus is actually echoing a prophecy from Isaiah here. Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. Here's what Isaiah says. It says, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their eyes or their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Now, in this prophecy, Isaiah's condemning God's people who had hardened their hearts against him. And so the very people that God has given his word to were ignoring it or outright rejecting it completely. And so you can see how Jesus is almost kind of updating this parable for this crowd. Now, in contrast, the disciples, the men who follow Jesus to their graves, save Judas, he says this, he says, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. That's quite a contrast from the broad crowd, isn't it? For some people who hear the parables of Jesus, these revelations about God and his kingdom are incredible secrets, and they're treasures to be enjoyed and known, and they're gifts to us that reveal the God that we love and enjoy and what he's like. 
And they show us true joy in what it means to believe in his good news of grace and to follow him, even when it costs us something. Now, that message, though, isn't for everyone. And so we're going to spend a lot of time talking about hearing today. As Jesus reveals in his kingdom, this parable is going to focus on the response of the readers or the hearers. And he's warning them that we have a choice about what to do with God's message. So let's go ahead and dig in here. Verse 4, it says, And when a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed. So our story starts with a sower sowing his seed. Now, when most of us think about farming today, we think about kind of our American industrial commercial farming system, okay? You've got these massive combines that till the soil and spread the seed in these high quantities. But this story is about subsistence farming, okay? You've got a single farmer here in his field. And so this farmer has a sack of seed, and he walks through the field just tossing his grain out on the soil, And there weren't these massive farm fields with perfectly lined up roads that were plowed and ready for seeds like we see here in the Midwest. The land was much less tame back then than when we think about farming today. And so the seed is just naturally going to land and fall in different places as it's tossed. Now Jesus gives us the key in his explanation. The sower, the farmer, is God himself. And the seed is the word of God. Now that phrase is unique to Luke's account. Matthew uses the phrase word of the kingdom. Mark uses just the word as the seed in the story. But the term word of God should have uh, kind of ring us back to the Old Testament, okay? It has this prophetic meaning to it. And think of your Old Testament prophets who received the word of God and then spoke it and wrote it down for God's people. And this makes sense with the context of this parable because Jesus is warning the crowds about how to hear his teachings. And so as people hear the truth and grace of God's message to repent of sin and trust in the work of Jesus on the cross, he's warning the crowd that different people will respond to it differently, just like people responded differently to Jeremiah or Hosea or Amos. Now, it's also important that Jesus is using the metaphor of a seed, right? A seed marks the beginning of something. It's not the whole or the completion of it. I mean, no one would ever look at a seed and think, oh man, what a finished product we've got there. My kids planted some seeds this spring, uh, and it was very anticlimactic for them. (laughs) They dug the hole, we put the seeds in, they covered it, they watered it, put it in the sun... They were very disappointed when a stem and leaves doesn't just pop right out of the the ground. A seed is only as good as its potential, whatever it ultimately becomes. And so the word of God is similar in its potential. God's word always initiates or causes something. It instigates change or action. I mean, think about creation. When God spoke everything we see into existence, Or when he spoke his law and established a covenant with the nation of Israel. Or a prophet, the word of God, calling his people to repentance or judgment. Or or his gospel message, right? Which transforms hearts and gives the Holy Holy Spirit to his people. But Jesus is going to say in this parable that just because someone hears the gospel doesn't mean that they believe it or allow it to take root in their lives. 
And so it's important to recognize that for true faith, hearing is only part of the equation. Over in James, James writes a lot about this topic. Uh, And so in chapter 1, verse 23 to 25, it's probably a famous verse you've heard. Okay, he says this. He says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who intently looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he looks like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Later on in his book, James will say that faith without works is dead. So true faithfulness to the gospel of Jesus is not merely an acceptance of fact or an acknowledgement of a true statement, but it's a transformation of one's life as a result of it. It's an inner commitment to trusting in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross and his forgiveness of sins and an external transformation that reflects that. We've been studying this, Cameron's been teaching this about this in our James Bible study here at Christ the King, that there is fidelity for a Christian between our internal beliefs and our external actions that makes us a whole person. And so Jesus is going to give us a description of four different kinds of hearers. But what we'll see is that not every person who hears will bear out the faith that Jesus is calling us to. All right, so let's talk about these four soils that Jesus describes. Every gospel message falls on the ears of a hearer, and that soil must respond with what to do with that seed. So does the soil become the venue for which the seed is going to grow into its fullest potential and produce ultimately a plant or a tree that bears fruit? Or does that soil stunt the growth of the seed or prevent it from ever growing in the first place? All right, so let's roll through these four soils here, okay? The first soil isn't actually soil at all, okay? Jesus is described as seed that falls on the path. So look at the verse. He says, And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. The first seed never shows any growth. It's trampled upon where people walk. It's snatched up by the birds of the air. And so Jesus explains to us why there's no growth. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. These are people that do not believe the gospel, whether implicitly or explicitly. Now, included in this group are are those who hear it and reject it outright for any particular reason. I mean, we can all think of people in our life who refuse to believe in Christianity, They may reject it on academic basis or or experiences they've had or or theological questions they might have. There are many people who will reject God's message, God's word. But that also potentially includes people who are part of the everyday visible church. They may be faithful church attenders, active volunteers, genuinely kind-hearted people, but in their heart of hearts, they do not believe God's word. And so suffice it to say, people in this category can be openly opposed to Christianity or they can be active participants in it. The key here, what lacks is belief 
Look at what Jesus says. He says, so that they may not believe. And so the first step to hearing God's word is believing what you hear is true. If a hearer doesn't believe what they hear to be true, Jesus says that they will not be saved through the word of God. Now, the second soil is the rocks. Look at this. It says, and some fell on the rock. And as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. Matthew's account adds a little bit more to us. It says, immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And they had no root, or since they had no root, they withered away. Now the problem with rocky soil is that the roots are unable to grow deep and strong. And if the roots stay short and stunted, it cannot collect enough sufficient water to provide the water that's needed for growth. Or even if it potentially is able to grow a little bit with those short roots, it doesn't stand a chance when the elements or pressure is applied. Now Jesus describes the seed like this for a person's faith. He says, And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in a time of testing, they fall away. So this here, the rock here, initially receives the gospel with joy and happiness. But it isn't until there's a time of testing or tribulation or persecution, as the other gospels refer to it, that reveals what kind of foundation that the person has ultimately in their faith. You see, there's many reasons that a person might receive the gospel, but that their faith isn't genuine. You know, often people live in such a way that Christianity, that they claim Christianity but not because of their faith in Christ. They'll often choose it because of the many benefits that come with it. I mean, being a Christian has a lot of benefits to offer someone, doesn't it? There's community. There's a sense of purpose. There's a moral code that we belong to. There's potluck dinners. There's social statuses. There's good reputations. We have a whole lot of t-shirts at this church, okay? Good music to listen to. All right, that cello, yeah? Okay? And many people may not even realize that they've bought into something about Christianity that isn't actually God himself. But here's the reality of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Following him will get hard. 1 Peter 4.12 says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. John 16, Jesus says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. There's many people who will receive the gospel message, God's word, with joy initially. But when the hard stuff comes, it peels back people's motivations. And it reveals a faith that wasn't centered on following Jesus as Lord, but one of the many ancillary aspects of being a Christian. So if the path path here lacks belief, the rock here lacks endurance. They're only committed to Christ when it's easy or, or it benefits themselves in some way. But when the road for following Jesus begins to cost something, it gets hard, we start to see the man in the mirror as James describes. All right, a third soil, or here, is the thorns. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. 
So here, the plant grows relatively normally, but there are thorns that grow up with the plant as it grows. And so Jesus is going to explain this. As for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. Whereas the rocks are dealing with trials and tribulations, the thorn here is undone by temptation. Jesus describes this temptation in three buckets. He calls them cares, riches and, riches and pleasures of life. I mean, who isn't tempted by these things, right? Whether it's the desire to be wealthy or security or to be loved or esteemed or to be in control or to be satisfied in anything other than God, everyone that accepts the gospel will continue to be tempted by the things of this world. James 1.14 says, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. So I ask you, what desire in your life most competes with your desire to follow Jesus? Many people who initially profess faith in being a disciple of Jesus ultimately choose a different desire to rule their life. I mean, I'm starting to get older now. Okay, I could think back on my life in a lot of respects. Yeah, just thinking about this morning as I was kind of reflecting and praying, like, I went to college, I lived with nine guys. About half of them are still following Jesus, or would say they're disciples of Jesus. And as I think about each of those guys that ultimately, for whatever reason, went a different direction, most often there was some desire in their life that they chose to follow wholeheartedly after now, it's interesting that the opposite of giving into temptation, according to Jesus, is maturity. Look at what he says. He says, and their fruit does not mature. Now, notice Jesus doesn't say, you got to follow me perfectly, right? He doesn't say you have to avoid every temptation that's ever existed in the world, but that they simply mature. So Christians avoid the thorn are marked by continually repenting of their sin as a sign of maturity, not to completely be perfect, right? Not to avoid temptation altogether. All right, so we've got the path, we've got the rocks, we've got the thorns. The final soil stands apart from the first three. It's the good soil. And some fell into good soil and yielded and grew and yielded a hundredfold. See, the final soil does what James says, is a hearer of the word and then does it. And they see the outcome of it, a hundredfold of a yield. And that's supernatural, isn't it? Even for the GMO world that we live in today. And Jesus explains this. He says, as for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Notice Jesus almost digs at the other soils in this statement. This here believes the word of God. Holds fast when there's trials and temptation and shows patience and honesty in the midst of maturing. A faithful hearer of the gospel believes it and they endure in the pain and suffering. They resist temptation and they mature by showing fruit in their life. A doer of the word that they hear. All right, so I want to talk a little bit about how we can apply this. Uh, text, right? It's, it's pretty straightforward. Jesus gives us these groups of people in this crowd. So the first application for us is to reflect. 
Now, Jesus is telling this story for people to reflect on what kind of hearer they are. And it's a very natural and good thing for you to be thinking about which soil are you as you read this story. We need to reflect on which kind of hearer we are. And not just in a a cursory, one-time kind of pulse check, but a consistent, soul-searching reflection that thinks through what faith in Christ looks like over time. Our faith is not just a single moment when we believe in the good news of the gospel, but it's a lifetime of repeated decisions where we decide if we believe what Jesus said about himself is true. And so I hope that each of us at the end of our lives can say that we are without a doubt hearer of God's word and seed that landed on good soil. Not just because we believe in Jesus' mercy for our sins, but because we've seen over a lifetime how he's grown and matured in us over and over and over again. But I think part of getting there is to always be reflecting on the other soils and to see how beliefs and trials and temptations are playing out in our lives. You see, we're going to struggle with belief We're going to want to give up when things are hard. We're going to follow after our desires. And we need to hold fast and resist temptation, repent of sin, and choose to follow Jesus. Not as a one-time decision, but a daily commitment. Don't be the man who deceives himself by looking into the mirror and forgetting what he looks like when he walks away. You cannot have an honest assessment of your life if you don't take time to regularly reflect on how you're living. So we need to reflect as Christ followers, to set aside time daily or weekly to journal and pray and read scripture and to call brothers and sisters to speak into our lives honestly and boldly. And so I ask you, which here are you? And which Soil, will you be most tempted to go down? Will you struggle to endure when things get hard? Will you struggle to resist the temptations of this world or to believe what's true about God and what he says? It's helpful as Christians to know this about ourselves and then to keep going. Now, the second application point uh, is tied to the first. We need to look for what kind of fruit is in our life. So by reflecting, you can see whether your life is producing good fruit or bad fruit. Jesus says in Matthew 12, verses 33, he says, Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You can tell what kind of hearer you are by the fruit that you're bearing in your life. I mean, we're humans, we're we're dynamic creatures. Our hearts and our minds and our bodies are either moving towards God in holiness or away from him. Spend some time this week reading Galatians 5, where Jesus kind of lists, or Paul lists out the fruits of the spirit and um, the fruits of the non-spirit, of the flesh. And I want you to ask yourself whether these things are increasingly becoming true and characteristic of your life. Eventually, the first three soils produce bad fruit, whereas the fourth produces an incredible abundance of it. So the point of the parable is that while we might not, na- sorry, the point of the parable is that while, oh my goodness, I can't read. 
The point of the parable is that while that might now be obvious, might not be obvious, this is my problem, I wrote now instead of not, okay. It might not be obvious at the beginning or any single moment in your life, but the soil will play itself out over one's lifetime. And so I ask you, are you becoming more and more like Jesus? Characterized by his love and joy and peace in the way that you live your life? Are you a product of a heart that isn't seeking self-glorification, but a desire to honor God who has so richly blessed you? All right, so we're to reflect, we're to look for fruit. And for those of us who have chosen to follow Christ, we've also been tasked with sharing his gospel And so the third point is that we need to be wise as we share God's word with other people. That means that we're not only working with our own self-reflection about where we are in this parable or, or this piece, but that many other people will also fall into these buckets around us. We can use Jesus' soils to help new believers navigate the trials and temptations that will be coming their way. And we can trust that God is the sower and that his word is the seed rather than our own logic or intelligence or charisma. And we can engage the crowd just like Jesus did because we know that Jesus' message isn't for a particular group of people, but it's for everyone to hear. And that while we may not know who ultimately rejects God's word and who will accept it, We can trust that God is working in ways that we could never imagine. Now, when I was a kid and I first heard this story, it kind of freaked me out a little bit, right? Yeah? It kind of made me start to question if if I was a true Christian or not, right? Or am I going to be this soil that eventually falls away or something? If I would one day lose my salvation. But as I've gotten older, I've come to see how God uses this story as a warning for his people for the people that he loves. I remember what I asked you at the beginning of the sermon. What's the point of a warning? The purpose of a warning is to protect someone and to build trust with them. You see, when there's a danger, you call it out. And you hopefully, as you do that, you reinforce that your word is trustworthy, that you want to keep them safe, that your intentions are to draw them closer to you and protect you. A couple years ago, my, uh, my parents put in a pool, okay? Uh, and it is a great thing to have a grandparent that puts in pool, okay? But there's one big drawback in that, okay? And there's this new fear that will be instilled, the fear of God instilled in me, right? Because you've heard and seen those news stories out there. Like every once in a blue moon, there's a little kid, gets close, unattended to the pool, and something terrible happens and awful happens, And so I think about this all the time, right? Because I've got four little kids, and I want them to be safe and protected. And so I warn them often and consistently. And I think I've probably created some trauma that they'll need to work through at some point in their lifetime, okay? But I want my kids to stay away from that pool because I know there's danger there. And I also want them to know that I care about them so much that I'm going to seek their best interest by warning them over and over and over again that they can bank on my word 
And a warning comes to its fruition when the person hears that warning. And they say, you know what? I believe in that person. And because of what they've said, because of what they've warned, I'm going to trust in it. And you know, I think the same is true of God's warning for us. There are dangers in this world. And God wants us to hear his warning and to put our trust in him. Because his message is trustworthy and true. And so while this parable focuses a whole lot on us choosing to follow Jesus and the fruit that we do or do not bear, the truth of God's word is still the same. That you can't do anything to earn your salvation. That it's God's work through Jesus on the cross that ultimately is what saves us and helps us to believe and transforms us and endures us and helps us to resist temptation. You see, the reality is, like as a dad for my kids, I'm not going to let them go near that pool alone and unattended. By God's grace, please, Lord. <laughs> right? And I'm a flawed man, and I'm imperfect, and I'm not going to do this perfectly. Okay? But even as I warn my children, I am going to do everything I can to protect them and keep them safe. And the same is true of God, right? Even as he warns us and says, hey, be careful for his people, the people that he has called to himself, he says the same thing. I'm not going to let you go. I'm going to sustain you and endure you. But I want you to continue to grow and bear fruit and mature so that I might use you for my kingdom, this incredible kingdom that I've given you the secrets and the treasures of heaven too. Lord, I pray that we would be a church of good soil, that we would yield incredible fruit together as the people of God. Would you pray with me? Father, I am thankful that, that you are a father, or that you love us, and that you care about us enough to warn us and keep us safe from the things that potentially can cause us to go astray. And Lord, more than that, I praise you for the God that you are. That I know as a, as a faithful Christian that it isn't ultimately about how I perform for you because you have sent your son to die for my sins and you will continue to work in the hearts of your people that we might be the good soil and that we don't have to worry and fret and be concerned about which soil we are because we know the message. We understand and believe the word of God that you've given us. Lord, I pray that's true for the people in this room. Lord, I pray for the crowd. I pray for the people that, for whatever reason, come here to hear about the gospel or they hear about your incredible news of grace that, Lord, that you would just get rid of those other soils. Minimize them. And move more and more people into your good soil that we might bear fruit and mature and know and love your incredible fatherhood, your incredible person of what you've done for our lives because it's the best way for us to live. I pray that be true of us today, Lord. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen. We are Christ the King Church. For more information about our church, please visit us at ctkcincy.com.